Okay, well, here's what we're going to do. Now, I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're beginning this study this semester, and we're calling it Jesus and His World. If you notice, i got the slides. Let me just say this, uh, um, just to make it clear. I talk fast sometimes. Uh, well, rarely do I talk fast, but sometimes I talk fast. So if, as we go through the study, uh, like the, the, there's a blank or something that you missed, just stop me and say, what do, you, what do we want there? I'll put a slide back up that we might, you know, might go too fast by or something like that. Also, if, as, as we go through things, if you have questions, you can stop me right in the middle of it and just say, what, what is that? Or I didn't get that. Or how does that fit? Uh, some of this, uh, let me just say this. Some of this is going to be uh, uh, even more history than I probably ever taught. Uh, I always, you know, you know, I'm just known for basically just taking scripture and teaching the Bible and everything and throwing in the history that goes with it. Well, some of this is going to have history uh, history in it. So it's going to be a lot there. And it may be questions you ask me or say, what's that? I go, I, I don't know. But anyway, uh, so I can answer any question that you ask me. Yeah, the answer may be, I don't know. But anyways, we can do that. So we're glad you signed up to take the class. And, and we're going to go through, it should be a lot of fun. As I said a while ago, I've not taught this before. As we've studied the Bible over the years, we look at a lot of truths. But here's what we're going to think about. Here's, here's sort of a purpose. Wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not used to doing this yet. Okay, here's sort of a purpose. And you can write some of this down if you want to. You don't have to write everything down. Let me tell you this, I wanted to bring this up. There's going to be, over these weeks, there's going to be a lot of information. And so you can't remember everything. And so when we go through this, I want this to be a resource material for you so that you can look at this and go back and find things and know things about history that maybe you can't remember all the time, but that you get it. So here's our purpose. We're going to be looking at Jesus and his world. And once again, you don't have to write down every word. Just put what you want. As we study the life of Jesus, we find that when he lived on this earth, it's different than even now. And so when people start talking about things and when people talk about the Bible, sometimes you look at the Bible and you go, what is, what is that? I've never even heard of this. Or who are these people? Or what's going on? And so that's one of the goals. We want to see the background and the history. Uh, we're going to divide our study into four big sections. And I'll, I'll give you the four big sections in a minute. Here's sort of our goal. I, I, don't want you, I hope you've written it all down, but you don't have to write down every word. I would just say we're going to be looking at Jesus and his world. I mean, that, you know, but here's, what, here's our goal. And think about it this way. You can just put this in your own words. When we read the Bible... We want to have an understanding of the places and the culture and the background and the world of our Savior. We just want to have an idea of what's going on. How does it fit together? When you see Pharisees, you say, who are Pharisees? I mean, how do they fit in there? What about the temple? When people talk about offering a sacrifice or when Jesus was born, what, what happened then? I mean, though, we're just going to see all kinds of things. So our goal is we gain, a great un- we gain an understanding, a great understanding of Jesus and his world as we study the Bible. That's sort of what this is about. I, I got this idea. Let me just say it. I, I was doing some studying, and you know, somebody said, what are you going to teach next year? And I, I do the tutu every other year. And so this would be a year that I didn't do the tutu because I did it last year. And I thought, well, I don't know. Because, see, I've taught angels and demons and the patriarchs and uh, the, you know, the 412 Christian life. And all, I've taught a lot of different studies over all these years. But somebody said, well, what, you ought to do a new one. I went, yeah, I ought to do a new one. What am I going to do? And so I started studying. I started thinking. I thought, wow, this might be something that would be fun. And so this is what we're going to do is we're going to think about the Bible and Jesus and the world and how it all ties together. And so when we think about Jesus, we're going to think about Pharisees and Sadducees, Herodians, Zealots, Rome, the Persians, the medieval Persians, who are they? The Greek or Macedonians, who are they? Uh, how about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And how about the promised land and the culture of the Jewish people? And, and what happened when they went into captivity? And, and where did they go into captivity? And who all that kind of thing? And what about the languages? And why is the Bible written in Hebrew? And why is the Bible written in Greek? And so we're going to look at all this. And so I, I think for this semester, it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, so with that in mind, let me, let me give you a, a sort of the, the overview of the class. 
And we're going to think through it together here tonight at the start and then get into some good stuff. And so the first thought, we're going to look at four big sections, okay? And you can write that down. And while you're writing that down, we're going to, I'm going to talk a, a little bit about them. Uh, but uh, in fact, if you want to, just write down the first one. And I'm going to talk for a minute about it. And then you can write down the second one. That way you don't miss the stuff. So write down the first one. We're going to talk about the end of the Old Testament. Now, most of the people, when you start talking about the Bible, and we say the Bible, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Genesis and that, and then there's stuff in the middle, and, and then there's stuff in the end, but we don't know really much about it. We're going to talk about, this is called the end of the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the nations, and we're going to see they go into captivity, and we're going to see the deportations, and we're going to see the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and we're going to see why there's a synagogue. Because have you ever thought about the synagogue? You look in the Old Testament, did you find, the, did you find synagogues anywhere in the Old Testament? How come at the time of Jesus there are synagogues? Where does this come from? And we're going to see that. And we're going to talk about the people coming back to the land. And we're going to look at medial Persians. And you go, why do I care about the medial Persians? Well, that's called Iran, by the way. The Persians are Iran. And we're going to talk about that kind of thing. So that's, that's the first thing. The second one is we're going to look at what we call between the Testaments. And most of you know that if you look at your Bible, you've got Old Testament and... New Testament. And what you may not have realized is that in between the end of the Old Testament writings and the beginning of the New Testament writings, there's 400 years. And people call that the 400 silent years. And they're not really silent. We don't have any written revelation, but it's not silent. And we're going to look at it. We're going to see the Jews go back to the land. We're going to see the Greeks. We're going to see the languages. We're going to see the battles. We're going to see a guy named Alexander the Great. And, uh, you know, and he was great, by the way. He died, he died before he was 30, conquered the world before he was 30 years old. We're going to see him. We're going to meet a guy, you ready for this, named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who the Bible calls, or the people who study the Bible call him the little Antichrist of the Old Testament. We'll talk about that. We're going, what? What is going on there? We're going to see Pharisees and Sadducees and the Romans come to power. When you study the book, the Bible, who's in power? Rome is in power. And when did they come to power and how did that work? And we're going to see that. Then we get to the third section, which is we call it the beginning of the New Testament. That, that's really familiar with us. We say, oh yeah, New Testament, we know all that. We'll think about Herod the Great and the Romans coming and the culture of the Romans and the birth of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about John the Baptist and we'll talk about uh, him recognizing Jesus. We're actually going to spend uh, several lessons on just the ministry of Jesus. And you think, well, yeah, that's not very many. No, it's not very many, but we're going to look at some, some really good things. And, and there's one thing I wanted to, I mentioned it on Sunday morning from the pulpit. Uh, one of the lessons, lesson 12, is, is, and I'll get to it in a minute, talks about the cross. We're going to see some things, what happened when Jesus died on the cross, that maybe you hadn't even thought about. So there's some really, really good things there. The last section is going to be on what we call the end time. It should say probably end times, because we're going to look at what happened. And you may not realize this, but anybody know when the end times begin? People say, well, I, I think we're in the end times. What do you think? You th how many of you think we're in the end times? Yeah, when did they start? <laughs> you know when they started? At the death of Jesus Christ. The end times began at the death of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 says, basically, after Jesus' death, it says, and in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So the last days actually began at the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's why this last section is called the end time or the end times. And we're going to talk about Jesus and his commission and the early church and the dry bones of Israel. What does that mean? And we're going to talk about Jesus coming in the clouds and we're going to talk about Jesus coming to the earth. And we'll even talk about the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal state and even the kingdom, the thousand year reign. So we're going to look at all kinds of stuff. Some of it we can go into a lot of detail on, some of it we can if you got questions on anything, we'll try to stop and deal with it. So that this is the, the study. And some, some sections have more than the others. And when, you, when I bring in another outline next week, I'm going to have it uh, broken down a little bit differently, and you'll be able to see it. But that's still the, the lessons. Here's the idea. What we do at, at Stillwater Bible, we have what we call the Institute. And if you want to get credit for a class for our Bible Institute, and what you do is when you take a class and you pass the class, you get credit, and after a certain period of time, we give you things and things like that. So to get credit, we're going to have quizzes. Now, people say, quizzes? I don't want to take a quiz. Well, let me tell you, I have the quiz right here. This is the quiz for next week when you come in. 
So when you come in next week, please don't be late. Come in at right at 6.30 or early, and, and, the, and we'll start, and we start with the quiz. And the quiz is real easy because what we're going to do when, the, when we're through with the lesson tonight, at the end, I'm going to say, okay, here's the quiz for next week. Here's question number one. You should be able to do what? You should be able to make 100, right? And here's the deal. The reason I do that is because I want you to know it. I'm not trying to fool you or trick you. I'm telling you here are things I want you to know from this lesson. So there'll be eight quizzes. So if you, I mean, there'll be more than eight quizzes. But if you want to get credit for the course, you have to pass eight quizzes, okay? And then there's 14 lessons. And to get credit for the course, you have to be at least at 10. Now, what we're doing is we're recording them. We're videoing them. And I'm not sure how often they're going to get up. But I think maybe by Thursday or Friday, it'll be up, this lesson. So if you were to miss, like you say, oh, I didn't make it that Wednesday night, you can watch it. And then you can come to me and say, hey, I did watch it, and you get credit, so it's not, it's not like you missed. So that's what we try to do all the time. So eight quizzes that you have to pass. There are going to be more than eight quizzes, and, but it's going to be a lot of fun. You should make 100 on every quiz. The only people that don't make 100 is they didn't study. I am serious. You already have the answers. I'm giving you the quiz. I'm saying, here's question number one. Here's question number two. Here's question number three. And then all you have to do is just study. In fact, I, somebody asked me a question about it. I'm, I'm, when we're at the end, I'm going to put the quiz right there, and you can come take a picture of it if you want to. Because my goal is not to trick you. My goal is for you to learn and understand and put this together so you can say, I think I'm getting this. Now, if you want to, let's look at the outline, okay? And you should have that outline. If you can see, there's 14 lessons, and it's going to be kind of fun, I think, the, uh, the first one is tonight, it's the introduction, and, and I call it the Bible and the history of Israel. So tonight, you're going to get the whole history of Israel, uh, well, sort of, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. But anyway, there's a lot there. And then, as you start noticing, we've got Israel, the sin, the judgment, the captivity, then captivity, and then the return to the land, and then caught in world powers. And uh, you may say, well, what is that? Well, that's, that's Daniel chapter 11, actually. And we'll talk more about that. And then uh, look at Lesson 6, dealing with the little Antichrist. We all know when we say Antichrist, we think of this man of sin who's going to come to power during the tribulation. Actually, the Bible doesn't call him an Antichrist. It calls him the beast that rises out of the sea. He's actually called the beast. But we also call him the Antichrist. Well, this is the, the little Antichrist. And then we're going to look at Rome, and then we're going to look at the forerunners. And then you've got two lessons on the ministry of Jesus. It's powerful. And then... The conflict and the cross. Man, I love that. You're going to love that. It's got some great stuff in it. And then it should say victory in the cross, okay? So next week when I hand out another outline that's updated, that'll be corrected. And that's going to be, I think right now, just in my studies, this is probably my, maybe my favorite lesson. Because there's so much about what Jesus did when he died on the cross. So much stuff. And then we got the church and the rapture. That's going to be. And then the tribulation and the, all that. So there's a lot of good things we're going to be getting in this study. So let me just do this. Any questions or anything before we get ready? If you, if you turn the page, it says the end of the Old Testament. So that starts it. But any questions or anything about the class or the requirements if you want to get credit or what, anything? Don't forget, you can raise questions anytime. Just raise your hand. I'll ignore you. Or just, uh, you can ask, you know, if you ask a silly question, don't worry. I'll just say that's really a silly question. No, I won't. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's start. Let's start the end of the Old Testament. And this section is going to be dealing with Israel. But if you notice, the title of this lesson is The Bible and the History of Israel. So, turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're looking at God's perfect Word. And you know, one thing about our, our church and, and everything, the Bible Institute, everything goes back to the Bible here. The foundation is the Bible. And we think about every aspect. We, we look at the Bible and we say the Bible is God's perfect Word. It's alive, powerful, sharpening to it. It's sword never comes back void. It's profitable for teaching. Reproof for correction, for training. I mean, it's, it's everything. So at, at our church, if you said, what's the foundation for everything you do? We say it's the Bible because that is the foundation and that is the key. As we look at the Bible, uh, we're going to look at other things as well. In fact, I had to do probably the most, the most historical research I've ever done for an SBI class. And so I've got that. We, some of the sources, of course, are going to be the Bible, and I've got some history books. A guy by the name, and I didn't bring the books, and I don't want you to even have to think about it, but a guy by the name of Earl Carnes wrote the best, he wrote a history of the Christian church, 
And it's one of the few history books I've ever read that I, you, I can read. You know, that you can follow it and it makes sense. So that's a really good book. A guy by the name of William Marty wrote a book about Jesus and about culture, especially, especially in between the Testaments. And so that's a really good book. And then I've got all kind of other references and things. And what I'll probably do uh, uh, sometime is I'll bring you a bibliography of some books that if you wanted to get even deeper or more information, I've also got a handout for you that I didn't bring tonight that I'm going to bring. It's one that I use in the 2-2 study. If you remember in the 2-2 study, I have a little section on what's called In Between the Testaments. And it's about 12 pages, and it's detailed information about what happened in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'll bring that for you as a handout and just give it to you, and you can keep it as reference. There's so many good things that, that I mean, there's just so much there. So let's start, and let's think about the Bible, and let's think about the Word of God. And the bottom line is this. What is the story of the Bible? You've heard me say this over and over. Our church, we talk about it all the time. The story of the Bible is how the perfect God... Let's put it this way. The perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this is the story of the Bible. A lot of people say the story of the Bible is God's love. The story of the Bible is, a, the story of the Bible is reconciliation. We'll talk about it in just a second. The story of the Bible is how God, who is perfect, brings man who is fallen. And notice, he brings man to himself. Man doesn't bring God to him. God brings man to himself, and he does it by using his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who came, who died, and rose again, and paid for sin. And so the story of the Bible is actually reconciliation. You might hear somebody say, the story of the Bible is salvation. No, it's not, because there's at least three different salvations. There's justification, salvation, sanctification, salvation, and glorification, salvation. So the story of the Bible is not just salvation because you could stop and say, well, which salvation are you talking about? The story of the Bible is reconciliation, how God brings man to himself. Every one of us in this room, if you, you believed in Jesus Christ to give you eternal life, you were dead in, trin, you were dead in sin, we were separated from God, going our own way. God in his grace and mercy loved us and said, yeah, question? Okay, justification, sanctification, glorification. Okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of a thrown-in thing there. Okay, but, uh, but think about this. So, uh, perfect God, every one of us in this room, we've all sinned. We've come short of God's glory. Jesus left the glories of heaven, died in our place. God so loved the world, and we'll talk about it. He sent Jesus, and whoever believes in him will never perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So, let, let's think about the story of the Bible, and let's think about John 3.16. I love the verse. Uh, people talk about sharing your faith. I can remember, listen, I'm old. I can remember that if you go back about 30 years ago, there was a, a method that people were using to share their faith. They got people in their churches, and they taught them a thing called evangelism explosion. How many of y'all ever heard of that? Okay. Did you know how many verses you had to memorize to be able to go out and to share with somebody? With how many, Benny? It, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for narrowing it down, Benny. But... Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, like 20 or 30 verses you had to memorize. And so you're going out to share your faith, and you're so afraid that, number one, you'll forget one of the 30 verses. And even if you remember them, you don't know exactly where they are. And if you do know where they are, you can't find them. And so, I mean, it's just one of those things. So when people say to me, how do you share your faith? We've got a course called the 412 that Brian teaches. And we have three to four different ways we teach people to share your faith. But probably the key one is this right here. We call it one verse evangelism. You can share your faith and tell people about Jesus. And you just use John 3.16, which probably every one of us in this room, we, un we know it. We could say it. Uh, I'll, we got kids all over the church that if you just mention that, every one of them can say it. And so look at the message. God so loved the world. That's God loved us, the world. And the, the word for world there is cosmos, which means the, the unbelieving world, the whole world. God so loved the world, he gave his son. Gave him to what? Gave him to come to the earth and die on the cross and pay for sin and rise again. And then he goes on to say, and that whoever, that means anyone, not a select group of people, but anyone, anyone who believes in him, who would believe in him, that means it's faith, it's not works, it's faith alone in Christ alone. Whoever would believe in him would never perish, never be separated from God, but have eternal life. And li eternal life is life forever with Jesus Christ. And I, I'm amazed at the people who are so confused. So here is the greatest message of all. And all you have to do is know that one verse, and you could tell somebody, you know, God loved you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. If you believe in him, whoever believes in him, you'll never perish, but have what? 
everlasting life, eternal life, and you're saved and saved forever. And it's, it's just that simple. It is amazing to me how many people don't know what eternal life means. Have you ever talked to somebody and you said, what do you get when you believe? And they say, oh, well, you get eternal life. And you say, so you're saved and saved forever. Well, I hope so. Well, I said, wait a minute. What, what's the promise? What did he promise you? What did he promise us? Eternal. How long does that last? When do you start? When do you get it? The moment you believe. So the moment you believe, you have eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. And I've talked to people and you'll say, they'll say, but you could lose eternal life. And I said, then it wasn't eternal life. It was life for a period of time, but it wasn't eternal life because you can't lose eternal life because eternal life goes on what? Forever. So this is why this verse is so powerful. God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever, whoever, anyone who believes in Him, puts their faith in Him, trusts in Him, believes in Him, will never perish but have what? Eternal life. I love this verse. Let me read this verse to you. This is one of my favorite verses because it's very clear. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. If you just want to write that down somewhere. Paul says, I am an example. Paul says, God showed me great mercy and he demonstrated his patience to use me as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. What do we believe in Jesus Christ for? Eternal life. He's, what is he offering us? Eternal life. We were dead in trespasses and sins. He is the resurrection of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In Him is life. He gives eternal life. In fact, He is eternal life. So that, that's oh, it's so beautiful when you start thinking about this. Now, with that in mind, since we said that the story of the Bible is reconciliation, you're in 2 Corinthians. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. This is the story of reconciliation. This is the story of the Bible. If I were to ask you on the quiz, what passage in the Bible is giving you the story of the Bible or telling you reconciliation, this would be it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, basically 18, 19, 20. Look at verse 18. Now, all these things are from God who did what? What did he do? He reconciled us to himself through Christ. Let's stop for that for just a second. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through who? Christ. There it is. That's the story of the Bible. That's reconciliation. So God reconciles man to himself. And then it goes on to say, and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? Our ministry. Everybody's got a ministry. People say, what's your ministry? I work with the kids. Well, okay. What else? What other ministry? The, the ministry we all have is to tell people how they can be reconciled to God. How that God has sent his son. How that God has sent Jesus. And he reconciles man to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Is that incredible? I, I talked to a guy today. And he says that you can believe in Jesus and have eternal life. But it's not really eternal life because if you don't live good all the way to the end, you never had eternal life. And so I said to him, I said, do you have eternal life? And he said, I do. And I said, but you don't know you do. He said, oh, I know I do. I said, no, because you don't know if you're, gonna, you're not going to keep going all the way to the end. He said, oh, I know I am. I said, no, you don't. Yeah, that's right. And take heed lest you think you stand, you what? You fall. So if you look to anything other than Jesus Christ, if you look to your lifestyle, your works, anything at all, you can never have assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation comes back through Jesus Christ, where we can know that we have eternal life because we have believed in him. Okay, so God reconciles man to himself. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Well, notice he goes on in verse 19 to repeat basically the same thing. He says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespass against them, and is committed to them the word, it should say word of reconciliation. I don't know why it says world of reconciliation. It's the word of reconciliation. So look at this. He says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. It's the same message. So God brings us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And, I mean, it is so beautiful. And look what he has committed to us, the word of reconciliation, not world, word of reconciliation. You know what that means? You have a message. You have a message that deals with how a person can have eternal life. It's called the word of reconciliation. You have a ministry which is called the ministry of reconciliation. You get to leave this room 
go out into this community and get to tell people how they can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. What could be better? How much does it cost? Absolutely free. You know, I mean, people sell things all the time. I mean, they're trying to make a deal. Look at this deal right here. This is only $100. And we got the greatest gift of all. And it, and it is called a gift because it is free. So we, we see this. So with this in mind, that uh, the whole idea is the word of reconciliation. Oh, let me throw this up here. I got, so God brought the world to himself in Christ. In your handout, it says God brought the world to, and it has two. It should be in. We're, we're correcting that as well. Uh, by the way, if, if you, if we, as we teach through this, since this is the first time I've taught this, and we're typing it, even as we're, as we're putting it together, if you find a mistake, a misspelled word, something that doesn't, just mark it and come to me and say, I just found this, and that way we can correct it in the office because eventually we'll have it as one of those books and those kind of things that we do. So God brought the world to himself in Christ, and he gave us the word of reconciliation. So this, this is really key. So let's think about, let's think about the Bible for a second. And I know this is sort of basic, but let's think about the Bible. The Bible, Old Testament, has how many books? You can see it, right? I mean, that is, uh, this, is not a, this, is not, this is a pop quiz right here. 39 books, 27. How many total? 66. You know, it's one big book, and the story of the book is reconciliation, but there's 66 books. And there's 39 in the Old Testament, 29 in the New Testament, uh, 27 in the New Testament. Think about those books. You've got Genesis, Esau, Leviticus, Numbers of Deuteronomy, which is law. And then you've got Joshua, Judges, all the way up to basically Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And those are kind of history-type books. And then you've got, you know, Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, which are kind of wisdom-type literature and poetry. And then you've got the prophets, the big ones, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are the big ones. And then you've got those 12 other ones, like Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jobadiah. All those, all those guys, and and you know, and you could say, how do, would would it be possible that you would be able to say, here's what the book of Genesis is about, here's what the book of Exodus is about, here's what the book of Nehemiah is about, here's what the book of Jonah is about, here's what Malachi is about. Could you do that? Now you could say, well, golly, no. I mean, this is a big one. Well, I mean, it is in English, and we have all the th- we you know we have this book most of our lives, right? And so when people say, do you, think about this. This is from God to us. And we say, I ain't never read that Habakkuk guy. You know, what happens when you get to heaven and Habakkuk comes up and says, what would you think of my book? And you go, I didn't read it. <laughs> I bet it was good. I bet it was good. It was a bestseller. But anyway, you know. And then you got New Testament, which, oh, I love it. You got the, the history books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Those are history. And then you got the letters, which Paul's letters, Romans and First and Second Corinthians, all that. And then you get on down to uh, Paul wrote 13. And then you got uh, Hebrews, which is an amazing, amazing book. And it's hard. And James is a hard book, too. They're there. First and Second Peter have a lot of hard things in them. First, first John, I think First John may be the hardest book in the New Testament simply because so many people are confused from the very beginning of the book. They actually are, have confused about what the letter is about. So some great things. And then, of course, Second, Third John, Jude, and Revelation. So there it is. There's the Bible right there. And if you really think about it, the Old Testament is looking forward, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. So if you looked at it this way, Old Testament looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. The New Testament is looking back at the one who came, that Jesus Christ. And so it's so fantastic when you think about it. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the Bible fits together perfectly. So we've got that. Now, let's talk about, for a second, the coming of the Messiah, the whole aspect. And uh, right there a little bit at a time as we go through this, I want to give you a flow. And I want you to know this. This is the flow of the Savior of the world. This is the flow of, of God's Savior and Messiah. So I want you to go all the way back and you think about here is uh, in the garden and God tells man and, and man and the woman that, you know, let's just get down to it. He's called Adamah, which means dirt. He's the, the Hebrew word is ish, which means man. From the man comes Isha, which means out of man. That's the, that's the woman. She didn't get named Eve until after the fall. So you've got this man and woman, and God tells them, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They eat, they fall at the fall. Now mankind has fallen, and God comes up with a plan. He says, I'm going to bring fallen mankind back to myself, and I'm going to do it through a Messiah, through a Savior, through the, and we'd say him through Jesus. Now, 
he called him, the very first one, he called him the seed of woman. It's found in Genesis 3.15. The seed of woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And we know right there the seed of woman is going to be the Messiah and the Savior. The seed of woman is going to crush the serpent. And so the seed of woman is coming. And he's going to be the Savior, the Savior of the world. Now, there's more. The second was God comes later on. And by the way, this narrows down that this Savior is going to be from, a, from who? A woman. Not a man. A woman. Okay, well, let's narrow it down. The next time, God comes to a guy by the name of Abram. His name is Abram, but he's Abraham. And he says he's going to be the seed of Abraham. Abraham is a Jew. The first Jew. In fact, through Abraham comes Isaac, and Isaac comes Jacob, and Jacob comes the twelve sons, and all of these people down. And so what we now have narrowed it down, that this Savior is going to be a Jew from a woman. Right? Well, then what? Then God comes to a guy by the name of David. We're studying him on Sunday morning. He's going to be, on Sunday morning, he's fixing to be the next king of Israel. And God comes to him in 2 Samuel 7. He is the king. And he says to him, I'm going to take your son, your greater son. He's going to come and he will rule as the king forever. So the son of David is going to be a king. He's going to be a, from a Jewish woman. He's going to be a Jewish person from a woman who's going to be a king. And he's going to be actually the king of who? King of the nation of who? Israel. That's who he is. He's the king of Israel. Who's David's the king of who? Israel. This is going to be David's greater son. He's going to sit on the throne. The promise is, I'll, you'll have a son that will sit on the throne forever. Well, human beings don't live forever. Not that way. So he's got to be talking about the Messiah. Then, in the book of Daniel, there is the Son of Man. And this Son of Man is going to have a kingdom that will never end. So we now know this Messiah is going to be a Jewish, Jewish man born of a woman who's going to be a king over the nation of Israel and will have no ending. Then, he comes to Mary. Angel Gabriel comes to Mary. By the way, uh, angels live a long time. Uh, did you realize that Gabriel is the one that came to Daniel? And Gabriel comes to Mary. That's only, you know, about 800, 600 years difference. So this Gabriel comes to Mary and says in Luke, you're going to have a son, son of Mary, and he's going to be a king and a savior. So now we've got this Messiah is going to be a king, a savior, Jewish, over the nation of Israel from a woman. And then we have John the Baptist seeing Jesus, and he's called the Lamb of God. And what does he say about him? The Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. He is the Savior. So you can see that God says, first of all, it's going to be the seed of woman. Then it's going to be Jew. A seed, a seed of Abraham is going to be Jewish. Then it's going to be from David. It's going to be the king. That means it's going to be from the tribe of Judah. And then he's going to have a kingdom that will not end. And then he's going to be born to, and we, you know what? This is where this woman thing comes in. Born to a virgin? Sometime, go back to the Isaiah passage and look at the passage where... The virgin will conceive and bear a son and see what that prophecy is really about. If you never looked at it, you will surprise you. And, and then here he comes as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love, I love it where John the Baptist is standing there and he's got a couple of his guys with him. And Jesus walks by and John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and so the guys start following Jesus, and he turns around and looks at them, and he goes, what do you want? And they don't know what to say, so they go, where do you live? That's what they say. Where do you stay? And he said, come and see. So, I mean, it's really some great things. So Jesus is the Messiah. By the way, so as we look at this, and if you got down, that as the Messiah, as the anointed one of God, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about his names or his title? He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord actually means deity. Uh, the word Jesus means Savior. 
And the word Christ means the anointed one of God. He is the great prophet, priest, and king. So tonight, just because of time, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I want you to think about that the anointed one, the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed. means one set apart. He's a prophet, a priest, and a king. In the Old Testament, prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, and kings were anointed. Nobody had all three offices. Nobody was a prophet, priest, and king. If you remember, Samuel was a prophet, a priest, and a judge. He wasn't a king. And so the anointed one is coming as the Messiah. Have you ever thought about Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king? What did the prophet do? Proclaims the word of God. Jesus Christ not only proclaims the word of God, he is the word of God. What does a priest do? What does a priest do? What do they do? I, I can't hear you. That's right. What do they do? They offer what? Sacrifices. What did Jesus do as the great high priest? He offered himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. What does the king do? Rules the world. So when Jesus, Jesus is the king of kings who offered himself as the great high priest for the final sacrifice and is the, word, the living word of God. You remember the gospel of John? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's him. That's Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when, we, when we're thinking about this, it, there's some great things. Okay, I may have to go faster. But anyway, uh, I'll, should I slow down or speed up? But anyway, okay. So let's think about this. Let's think about history. So I've got at the bottom there the page, the history of Israel. And if you want to, flip to the top of the next page because uh, that, that was kind of a heading. I just want you to see this. Let's think about the history of Israel. They're God's chosen people. Uh, I may ought to erase this. When you, when you think about the world, let me just throw this out here real quickly. A lot of the things I say, you don't have to write all this stuff down, but some of it you want to. It's kind of fun. But when you think about the world, think about this. There's Adam and Eve, all the way up to Noah, and after Noah, and, and really there's only one people group, and they're called Gentiles. They're actually called the nations. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses a man named Abraham, and he's actually Jewish. I mean, God says, I'm going to make this people group from you, which became, we came know them as the Jews. And so from Abraham on, there's two major people groups in the world, Jews and Gentiles. And then you come all the way up to Christ and his death and resurrection. And then us, the church, which is Jew and Gentile in one body. And so in reality, according to Second Corinthians, it basically says, Give no offense to the Jew, the Gentile, or the church. So there are actually three people groups now in the world. Jews, Gentiles, and the church, which we call ourselves Christians. And so anytime a Jewish person trusts in Christ, they become part of the church. Anytime a Gentile trusts in Christ, they become part of the church. So that's what we have. But let's go back and let's think about the nation of Israel, the chosen people. God chose the nation of Israel and he did for two big things that he chose them for. One is to bring the Messiah. The Messiah comes through Israel. I know people who hate Jews and say they love Jesus. And I go, do you understand Jesus is Jewish, right? You understand that, right? Uh, this Bible, who put this Bible together? Jewish people. In fact, that to bring us the Word of God. If, if Luke is not Jewish, he's the only writer in the Bible that's not Jewish. And he may be Jewish. Which just nobody knows for sure. You can't really tell the way it's written and whether, uh, whether Luke, Dr. Luke, was a Jew or not. But think about that. This, the, the, the nation of Israel has given us the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the Word of God. And so we go back to God choosing Abraham, okay? So if you want to bring this, God chooses a man by the name of Abram. That's his name's Abraham. If you remember, his name was Abram, which means big daddy. That means big daddy. High father is what it literally means. It's like, I got a bunch of kids. How many kids did he have? Zero, none. And God comes to Big Daddy when he's 70-something years old, 75 years old, and says, you're going to have a son. And through that son, the Messiah is going to come. That's where we talked about Abraham and being the, the, the Messiah being Jewish. And so Abraham went, are you kidding me? Are you sure? And God says, yeah, I'm going to change your name from Abram, Big Daddy, to Abraham, father of many nations. 
And so God then chose this man named Abraham and gave him a land, a seed, a blessing. Now, without a lot of detail, I want you to realize he gave Abraham a land. What's the land called? What's the land called? Uh-huh. It's not a hard one. These are not hard questions. The land is called Israel. What's the seed? The seed's the Messiah. The seed is Jesus Christ. It this ultimate st- starts with a seed with offspring, which is going to be Isaac, Jacob, Jude, all the way down. But the ultimate seed is the Messiah. And what's the blessing? The blessing is salvation to the world. Where does salvation come from? Who? Where does salvation come from? Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. Uh, let me read something to you. Matthew. Y'all know the book of Matthew, right? Here's how the Matthew, book of Matthew begins. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's who he is. So we ought to be thankful for Abraham and the promise to him that came through David and all the way, the, the land, the seed, and the blessing is powerful. So God chose them. And, and, and here's what we this is This is God telling them. You can't tell it because with the lights on in the room, you just can't see this slide very well. But there's a, millions of stars in this picture. And if you can remember the story when God told Abraham he was going to have an offspring, and, and Abraham said, I, I'm, look, I'm already old. And my wife is really old. And so we're old. And there's not going to be any way. Could you work it another way? He said, no, no, just go outside. He said, see the stars? You're going to have more kids than those stars. You're going to have more offspring than those stars. And that's what he told him. And so he made the same promise to Isaac. And Isaac made the same, God, God made the same promise to Isaac, and God made the same promise that Isaac made to Jacob. We call them the patriarchs, and the promise was the Messiah's coming. And by the way, when somebody says, or somebody Jewish in the Bible, I want you to understand something. Not every, not every descendant of Abraham is Jewish. Abraham had two sons. What were their names? Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac is the promised seed, not Ishmael. Isaac had two sons. What were they? Jacob and Esau. The promise was through Jacob. So when you say, who are the Jewish people? They are the descendants of Abraham through Isaac through Jacob. That's the Jewish people. Okay? That's called, we call those the patriarchs. So he made those promises. And if you, uh, let me just quick, uh, uh, quick stories. And so here is Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. And one of those sons was Joseph, and Joseph was his favorite, and he gave him a special coat. And Joseph bragged a lot, and Joseph um, had dreams, and he told his brothers that they're going to all bow down to me. And they went, no, we're not. We not. They did. But they, they said no. And, and so one day the daddy t- said his, to his son, uh, uh, Jacob loved uh, Joseph, and he said, go out and find your brothers and see what they're doing. Make sure they're okay. He goes out. They see him coming, and they don't like him. And they said, we don't like him. Let's kill him. And the oldest one said, oh, I don't think we're going to kill him. Uh, that'd be bad. You know, that'd be bad to kill your brother. But let's get him. And so they threw him in a big hole. And then they saw some Ishmaelites coming by. And they said, let's just sell him in. Let's just sell him. The one that didn't want him to die had gone somewhere. And when he came back, he said, where is uh, Joseph? And he looked down in the hole. He wasn't in there. He said, where is he? He said, we sold him to some Ishmaelites who go into Egypt. And he went, oh, boy, what are we going to tell Daddy? So they killed an animal, took the coat of many colors, put blood all over it, brought it back, and said, we think this is your son's coat. Jacob goes, uh. Animal to kill my son. That can't exist anymore. I can't make it. Joseph gets sold into slavery, goes to a man named Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard of Pharaoh, who's the king. And he does so well, everything goes right, but then this Pharaoh's wife made a move on him and he got thrown into prison and everything that he did in prison became great and he had these, he could tell these dreams and two of Pharaoh's servants got thrown into prison and they had dreams and he told the dreams and they came true and so later on the Pharaoh had a dream about these cows and about these stalks of corn and he said, I don't know what these dreams mean and the guy went, well, 
when I was in prison, there was this guy in there, this Jewish guy. He could tell what the dreams were, and every one of them came true. And he said, go get him. Shaved him, got him dressed up, came in front of the king. He said, I have this dream. Can you tell me what it is? He said, well, I can't, but God can. So tell me the dream. And he told me the dream. He said, what the dream is? Seven years. Seven years of famine. You better get everything ready. And the guy said, well, I, who would be better than you? And so Joseph goes from the prison to number two on the all-time list in Egypt. And there he is. And so uh, Joseph comes, the favorite, everything comes, and the nation of Israel goes down. And when I say nation of Israel, I have to be very careful. How many people were in Abraham to Isaac to Jacob's family when they went to Egypt? Do you know how many? 70. Yeah, 75 people. So when we say the nation of Israel, there were 75 Many of you have families bigger than they were. They go down there, everything goes good until the Pharaoh dies. And after the Pharaoh dies, another Pharaoh who did not know Joseph came to power. He was afraid of the Jews. They were multiplying. They were looking good. He was afraid they were going to take over. And so they made them slaves. And they became slaves for 400 years. And they made them build the, the, you know, the pyramids and all of these cities. And it was just wild. And so at the end of the 400 years... God raised up a guy by the name of Moses, and Moses uh, was educated in, in everything, and he thought he was ready to lead the nation of Israel out, but he wasn't, because he'd been educated in Egypt's stuff, but he was not educated in God's stuff. God had to take him to the backside of the desert for 40 years to learn to be a shepherd so he could shepherd the nation of Israel. And God uses Moses and Aaron, if you got it right there. God raised up Moses and Aaron to lead the nation out. And what, what, what famous thing happened when they came out? Besides, the, besides all the plagues. And by the way, let me just throw this out. All of the plagues, every one of the plagues were judgments on Egypt's gods. Because there's, there's only one true God. I mean, even Paul writes in the New Testament, he says everybody knows there's only one God. But some people make up gods. And they, they think a, a frog is a god or a cow is a god or something else is a god. And so people worship false gods, but there's really only one God. And so when you said uh, the Nile River turned to blood, they worshipped the Nile River. When the sun got, went dark, they worshipped the Nile. When the frogs came in, they worshipped the frogs. When, when, you know, when the storm came, they worshipped the god of the air. I mean, so God destroyed every one of their gods and brought them out. And, of course, you remember they came out, and, and they came out 2 million. They went in 75 people. They come out 2 million people. And they come to the, to the Red Sea, and they're stuck. And there's the pillar of cloud in the day and the pillar of fire at night. And here comes the Egyptians after them, and the, and the cloud moves in between so the Egyptians can't get them. And what does God do? He parts the sea. Let me tell you, I, he, this is this. I think that's probably what it was like. And but uh, this, there's not. I, it was dry land, by the way. Whoever drew that put a little water. They don't need any water down there. There's dry land. And let me ask you something. You read that as if it's no big deal. Let me ask you a question. Let's say I don't like water. Okay, let's just start off with that. You're telling me that I'm going to walk out. There's a wall of water, way up. This is this is a sea. It's parted. There's a wall of water there and a wall of water here. It's probably a mile wide. And you're going to tell me to walk through that? What if, it, what if it falls in? You know what I'm going to have to do? What am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to trust God, right? I'm going to have to trust God. And, and you know, by the way, the movies have them all crossing during the day. They crossed all night long. Took them all night long to get across the Red Sea. And they got to the other side. And then the, and then the Egyptians came after them about, about daybreak. When they got to the other side at daybreak, God looked out, saw the Egyptians right about the middle. And so he started messing up the wheels on their chariots. And they all went, we better get out of here. But it was too late. And the water came down on them and drowned them all. And so that's, that's it. And then, then, if you remember, they left and they wandered around for a little bit, and they got to a place called Mount Horab, or Mount Sinai, and they got the law. And Moses, and by the way, I, I, gotta, I, I know it looks good to see him carrying this big thing, but if you read carefully the Old Testament, when Moses came down the mountain, he had the two tablets in one hand. It didn't say in his hands, it said in his hand. I actually think that they were probably round, and there were two of them written on both sides, so there'd be four sides, and they were probably like discus, and he, he brought them down, and I think it had the commandments on them, 
And, and of course, when he got to the bottom, they had already had the big party and had the golden calf, and he threw them down and broke them. And, and then he looked at Aaron and said, where did the golden calf came from? And who, who made the golden calf? Aaron made the golden calf. So Aaron looked at Moses and says, they threw something in and that popped out. Yeah. yeah. And he went, oh, really? So it just popped out. So he ground, what did he do with the golden calf? He ground it up, put it in the water, and made them drink it. Do you know that? And so, then they were supposed to go into the land, and they got at Kadesh Barnea. And by the way, it's an 11-day journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, so they've been gone a year. It, they stayed at the mountain for a year, and they made an 11-day journey. So they've been gone a year and 11 days, and they get to Kadesh Barnea, and they're supposed to check out the land. They're supposed to go take the land. They all decide they need spies to go in and check it out. Twelve go in. They all come out. Ten say we can't go. Two say we can go, Joshua and Caleb. And they all go crazy. And so they don't go, and so God says, okay, you're not going to get to go. You're going to wander for 40 years. You spied it out 40 days. For every day you're in there, it's going to be 40 years until this whole generation of unbelievers. Now, not meaning they're not believers, but the fact that they didn't trust God to go in. He says, till you're all dead. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years till that whole generation died off. They said, we're afraid for our children. And God said, your children are going in, but you're not. And the only two that got to go in were who? Joshua and Caleb. That's all. And then Joshua leads them. I got it right here. God used Joshua to conquer the promised land. They came in. They conquered the promised land. One of my favorite stories, and you all know it, is they they had uh, <clears throat> got to right on the west, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and right across the river is the city of Jericho. Jericho was all afraid because they saw these two million people across the river, but it was at flood stage, so nobody could cross. And they felt okay because nobody could cross. They were afraid. And so God somehow got some spies, and they, they you know, were able to get around it and get up there, and they searched out the city. And, uh, and then God told them, we're going to go across. And I think it was the most amazing story is they took the Ark of the Covenant, and they stepped in the water. As they stepped in the water, the river stopped. The Jordan River stopped. And the whole army crossed over on dry land. And then what did he tell them to do? How are you going to defeat the Jericho city? Well, you're going to do something really smart. You're going to march around the city once a day for six days, and you're going to blow horns. And, then, and you're not going to say a word. And then on the last day, you're going to march around it seven times. You're going to blow the horns, and the walls are going to fall down. And you can see everybody going, yeah, that's going to work. And that's exactly what happened. It worked, and the walls fell down, and they took it. And then, and of course, we're still watching, float, getting the flow. And so after that, there was the time called the Judges. Now, I have to tell you this, that um, Samuel's the last judge. That's who we studied on Sunday morning. At the very beginning of 1 Samuel, Samuel's the last judge. When you think of judges, you, you naturally think of somebody that'll robe and he said something and making a decision. But a job was a, 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 a judge was actually the Hebrew word is sofertim, which means deliverer, means a fighter. And so judges were really fighters, and they delivered the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel would come into the land, turn away from God, get defeated by an enemy. They would cry out to God. He would raise up a judge. And they would have victory, and they would start all over again. And you know, so but somebody name a judge. You know any judges? S who? Sam well, Samuel's obvious, the last judge. Who else? Anybody else? Deborah. Who? Deborah. Deborah, Deborah and Barak. Samson. Samson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ehud, Othniel, Shamgar, Deborah, Barak, Gideon. So those were a number of judges. And so they were all famous, famous people. The last one was, was Samuel. And then there were the kings. And when you think about the kings of Israel, you have Saul and David and Solomon. And um, did I put down Joshua? Then they, oh, let me go back, yeah. Uh, the, Joshua leads them in the land. Then there's the judges. And then there's the three kings. By the way, just put down this. Uh, if you were going to, what would be the one word you would write down by Saul's name based on what we've been studying on Sunday morning? Not what? Not good. That's two words. But anyway, how about fleshly? I mean, he's a flesh, right? Isn't he a man of the flesh? And then what would you put by David? A man after God's own heart. And then what would you put by Solomon? The wisdom, the wisest man. Uh, Saul was the king of Israel for how many years? Forty. David was the king of Israel for how many years? Forty. Solomon was the king of Israel for how many years? 
40. Can you believe that? The first three kings of Israel were all kings for 40 years. And, uh, and of course, we, we've, we're, we're going to give you more details on Saul and David and Solomon on Sunday morning. But they're really fun to study. And that's First and Second Samuel and First Kings and basically First Chronicles. Uh, there's a lot of good information about those guys. And, I mean, I love that history part. That, I mean, that is so fun to study. When Solomon died, by the way, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Is that correct? I mean, he, he, I mean, that's what God said. I'm going to give you wisdom above anybody else, but I'm also give you riches. Uh, a king was not supposed to do three things. Any king of Israel was not supposed to do three things. Number one, they were not supposed to multiply gold. You don't have to rattle this down. That's just me talking. Uh, they were supposed to not multiply gold because they had to trust God instead of riches. They were not supposed to multiply horses because they would trust God instead of the army. And they were not supposed to multiply wives. And one of the reasons it's not wives is because wives were usually alliances with other kings. And so they weren't supposed to trust those alliances. So what did Solomon do? Solomon bought more horses than anybody ever bought. Solomon only used gold. He was so wealthy, he just brought in gold. And he had a thousand wives. Okay? So you might say he blew it. The wisest man who ever lived blew it. And he did. And so after Solomon died, the nation divided. Now, this is the part. We'll go fairly quickly. We only got about 10 minutes, so I just want to get the rest of this for us. But after Solomon died, the nation divided. It always amazed me when I first started learning this and seeing how it fit together. But it is amazing that the nation of Israel, those, 10 tri those 12 tribes and, and the kings, suddenly there was a, a division. The nation of Israel divided. And uh, you have divided into two things. There's a northern kingdom. And uh, let me draw this up for you. Well, no, I've got a, I've got a map. I'll show you in just a second. The northern kingdom was, was uh, they were called Israel. If you want to just put that down, the northern kingdom was called Israel. The capital was at Samaria, and they were made up of ten tribes. I don't know what I have in your little thing. Do I have, what do I have down there? I have a little bit where you can write in. Okay, the southern kingdom was called Judah, and the capital was at Jerusalem. And it had the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And so this is the division. Let me show you this. If you got it written down, uh, here's a map where the nation divided this way. Ten tribes under a guy by the name of Jeroboam went this way. Two tribes under Rehoboam, that's Solomon's son. There's another uh, slide that kind of gives it this way. Here is Israel, and it's just not a very good slide, but that's Samaria, and that's Jeroboam. And then here's Rehoboam, that's Solomon's son. And that's Judah. Uh, what happened is Solomon's son became king and everybody came together and they asked him. The other tribes said, would you not be hard on us? We would serve you if you won't be hard on us. So Solomon went to the old men, the advisors, and he said, what should we do? And they said, don't be hard on them and they'll serve you. He went to the young men and said, what should I do? And they said, just tell them you're going to knock the fire out of them. He comes up and says, well, I'm going to knock the fire out of you. So they all split up. That's what happened. That's why they, they split up. By the way, the northern kingdom had no believing kings. No believing kings. Southern kingdom had some believing kings. People like King Asa and Hezekiah and Josiah and those people. The northern people had people like Ahab and Jezebel and that bunch that we studied when we looked at Elijah and Elisha. What happened to these people? And, and we're getting toward the end. And what happened to these people? They went into captivity. And the northern empire went into captivity to the Assyrians in 722. And I should have put B.C. It's, you just kind of know that it's B.C. But I should have put 722 B.C. The Assyrians captured the northern empire. So I want you to, I'm going to draw it up this way. This is Israel. And this is the southern part. This is Judah. And this is Israel, which is the northern empire, and the Assyrians came in in 722 and just, just took them away. Took them away. And we're going to see later on, and when we get to some of these other chapters, that they brought in Gentiles who intermarried with some of the Jews who were left, and they became half Jew and half Gentile, which were known as the what? Sumerians. That's where they come from. We'll talk about it. The southern empire fell to Babylon. In 605 B.C., actually 605, 598, and 585, three different times. I'll talk about that when we get to it. Now, I've got a story we got to know. that You know it, but you've just got to hear it because it's so good. It's so good. The Assyrians captured the northern empire, and they began to move south, and they were coming to Jerusalem. 
And King Hezekiah was there. And Isaiah the prophet was there. And they sent, they sent the king of, of Assyria, sent a spokesman to come to the wall of Jerusalem. And he said, let me have your attention. And, they, and the Jewish leaders kind of went out on the edge of the wall. And they said, what do you want? And he said, we're going to kill every one of you. We'll give you some horses. If you surrender right now, we'll let you live and come out. If you want to fight us, we'll actually give you some horses because you're worthless and we'll destroy you all. And they said, they looked around and said, please don't talk in Hebrew. We don't want anybody else to hear what you're saying. <laughs> and, the guy, and so he talked and the, so they went back to the Hezekiah and they said, He's gonna, they're going to destroy the city. They're going to destroy us all. So Hezekiah said, I, I, guess, I guess the best thing to do is to pray. <laughs> so he prayed and they sent word to Isaiah. And they said, Isaiah, what's going to happen to us? What do we do? And Isaiah, they, they rolled out the scroll. And Isaiah said, tell me, Lord. And all of a sudden he said, you go back and you tell the king. They will not come into the city. They will not even shoot an arrow into the city. They will turn around and go back home. And that king will be killed by his own sons. So they said, I hope God's right. Right? So guess what happened? The night after that, an angel of God came through and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. It says when they woke up, 185,000 of them were dead. What do you think they did? They went home. And when they got home, that king's son killed him and became the king. That's why the Assyrians did not capture the southern empire. It was a new empire called the Babylonians who conquered the Assyrians who came down over a hundred years later and captured the Jewish people. So 605, five, you know, it's just amazing stuff. Now, why, why, did, the, why did the nation of Israel get, go into captivity? I mean, we're talking about this is God's people. And let me tell you something about this. When Babylon came in, they came into Jerusalem. You know what they did? They destroyed everything. They destroyed the walls of the city. They destroyed the temple. They took the Ark of the Covenant. They took the pans and the bowls and the, all the gold, and, and they took it all away. So why did the nation of Israel go into to captivity? Because, of, first of all, they worship false gods. Can you believe that? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever put anything in front of God in your relationship with God? That's a false god. You know, we get on Israel and say, <laughs> they worship false gods. Well, we do too. They ignored the Sabbaths. Say, remember, what's a Sabbath? You work for six days, rest on the seventh. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. What's the last day of the week? Saturday. Saturday's the Sabbath day. So they rested on the Sabbath. But they didn't rest. They kept the doors open. They kept doing all the work. They kept doing nothing. And then they were supposed to wait every seven years. And every, they worked for six years. On the seventh year, they let the land rest. But they didn't let the land rest. And then for every 49 years, they were going to go seven times, seven times, seven times, to 49 years. And on the 49th and 50th year, they had a big rest time, which they called the year of Jubilee. They were supposed to do all this resting. Wouldn't you like to rest? Yeah. They didn't do it. And God said, you didn't keep the Sabbaths. So I'm going to remove you from the land. And then the third thing is they sacrificed their children. What's going to happen to America? Are we sacrificing children in this country? Killing them all over the place. We're killing them all over the place. So, God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel, and he said this. If you obey me, you get to live in the land. If you disobey me, you will be removed from the land. Did they get removed from the land? What year was it? Well, they came back, and at the time of Jesus, they were in the land. And then in A.D. 70, they were destroyed again, temple destroyed again, and the Jews scattered all throughout the world. And from A.D. 70 until 1948, there was no Israel. There was no country of Israel. Jewish people were scattered all over the world. 1948, 
May 14, 1948, they became a nation again. And they said, a nation born in a day. And now there is. Since 1948, there's been an Israel. And that's important because there's got to be some deals happen in the future with this nation. And if there wasn't a nation, it couldn't happen. So anyway, God said, you get to live in the land. If you obey me, you get to live in the land. You disobey me, you don't get to live in the land. How can Israel be in the land now if they're not obeying God? How would you answer that? Well, there was a passage in Ezekiel called the Dry Bones Passage. And God said, and he told Ezekiel to go look in this valley. And he said, what do you see? And he went, I see a bunch of bones. And all of a sudden, they began to rattle. And they came together as skeletons. And they stood up. And they were just kind of skeletons. And then some kind of meat came on them. And they were standing there. And he went, what in the world? And what he realized was, that was the nation of Israel coming back together again. But he said, they don't have a spirit yet. And the dry bones of Ezekiel is Israel coming back in the land in 1948. And one of these days, the nation of Israel is going to believe in the Messiah. That's during the tribulation. And the Spirit will come back in them. And they will be his people again. That's going to happen. We'll talk more about it. We've got plenty of time in this class to talk about stuff like that. Okay, time's almost up. So here's what we've got to do. Let me, let me give you some, just some key things to think about. Okay, and you can write these down. And then I'm going to go over the quiz for you real quick so you'll make 100. So the first key is the Bible is God's perfect word and our foundation. Right? We know that. Everything we do goes back to the Bible. And we've looked at a lot of history tonight, but most of it's history of the Bible. We've put it all together from the Scripture. So the Bible is God's perfect word and our foundation. Number two, the story of the Bible is what? Reconciliation. And if, if somebody ever says to you, what's the story of the Bible? Say it this way. What is it, y'all? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. So when people get all confused and they say the Bible's too big a book, nobody knows what it's about. No, here's the story of the Bible. Okay, the third one is the promised Messiah came through the nation of Israel as a descendant of King David. Seed of woman, seed of Abraham, son of David, son of man, son of Mary, Lamb of God. And then, uh, I hope you've got it, here's number four. After Solomon, the nation divided and ultimately went into captivity. So tonight, I've just given you sort of a big overview of, as we'd call it, uh, this first section is the end of the Old Testament. We kind of put it all together. We're going to have a lot more details and a lot more good stuff uh, starting next week. Uh, I think you're going to love it. I hope you love this.